Well, to round off our evening together, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at God's Word uh, with my good friend Ricky Wilhelm. If you've not yet met Ricky, uh, then uh, shame on you. Do it. Do uh, get to know uh, him and his family. They're lovely uh, 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 folks who've been in Cardiff since the summer. Uh, Ricky came to know Jesus through the witness of a high school friend, age 14. So if you're 14 or 15 or high school or university, you you never know what uh, your own courage and talking to a friend about Jesus will lead to. Maybe it might lead to someone becoming a missionary and serving God hundreds of miles away from from where they grew up. Anyway, great to have you here, Ricky. Let me pray for you and then uh, we'll hear God's word. Lord God, thank you so much for Ricky. Thank you for bringing him and his family to Highfields. Please speak through him by your spirit now for the glory of your son, our saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, when Pastor Michael invited me to preach, he said to preach on the greatness of God, and you have seven minutes. So dynamite comes in small packages. Um, But if you would, just go ahead and flick open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And as you are turning there, I just want you to think, have you ever seen something truly great? Like it was so great that you had to describe, the only words to describe it would have been majestic. So Brandy and I, about six years ago, uh, decided to travel to the Grand Canyon. And as you can imagine, there were thousands of other people there to bask in the glory of this wonder of the world. Now the question is, though, why do we go to these places? Why does anyone go to these places? Well, I can tell you for Brandy and I, we definitely didn't go there to feel great and powerful. I mean, both of us actually suffer from a slight fear of heights. And so there were, there were times that I would kind of sneak up to the edge of the canyon and she would be like, step back, step back, don't die. And I would begin to tremble and jump away. Yet, what was amazing is as we look and reflect back on that trip, that we, we realized that we found a deep satisfaction in beholding something far greater than ourselves. John Piper said, there is a witness in our hearts that soul health and great happiness come not from beholding a great self, but a great splendor. See, this is why we need to talk more and think more about the greatness of God. Because I believe that thinking too little of God may be the ultimate joy thief for each and every one of us here tonight. And I mean that... that Our thoughts about God seem to usually make him very, very small. I don't mean that we don't spend enough time thinking about him, although that might be true. But when we do think about him, he seems to be quite small compared to what we read about in the scriptures. And in recent history, much of evangelical teaching has actually erred by putting such a stress on the personal nature of God that we give the impression that he's really not that much different from us. Personal, yes, but seemingly limited, helpless, helpless, and perhaps even a little bit pathetic. And so why would people be drawn to such a God? But the scriptures never allow God's intimate involvement with this world to distract us from the fact that he is infinitely wise and infinitely powerful, exercising his dominion over all of his creation. And Isaiah chapter 40 provides perhaps one of the most vivid explanations of why this truth matters. 
See, God was speaking to a people who were in despair because the tide of history seemed to be running against them. And they lived with little hope that their fate may change. And so in verses 1 and 2, God tells the prophet, Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. However, the thrust of this chapter is not the kind of like positive and tender and comforting affirmations that one might expect. No, the way the prophet is to comfort the people is by presenting a creator God who dwarfs the universe. Look at verse 12. And we'll read verses 12 through 15. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand, breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They were regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Now, how many of you tried this after Christmas dinner? You went and stood on the scale and realized you gained a couple of pounds. And you said, oh, I know the problem. Oh, it was the dust. No, no, no. You didn't even think about the dust. And that's what, what God's saying in this passage. He's, he's giving all these questions to say, all these things that you think are so big, all these things that make you tremble, they are, they're like dust to me. They have the... They, they have the chances of disturbing my plans like the, the dust on your scales have the, the chances of disturbing the reading. So God is rebuking our small-mindedness and dwindling faith. It feels like a strange way to encourage us, doesn't it? I mean, is God like some sort of cosmic mistrunchable? I'm big, you're small. I'm clever, you're stupid. It doesn't... How is this supposed to be a sense of comfort to them? Well, you see that these declarations, we just didn't have time to read it, but these declarations of his greatness follow the messianic promises in verses 2 through 10, where Isaiah tells them to prepare for the Lord's coming. And it's comforting because he's giving us reason to trust his word. Everything that you think is big, I'm bigger. He tells us of how... He will graciously forgive our sins. He will humble the proud and he will strengthen the lowly. He will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. And then in verse 11 he says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. See, God wants you to know that those hands that can mark off the universe, those hands that that can carry Mount Everest in a basket, those are the hands that will carry you to eternal life. And he accomplished this this all through the death, resurrection, and reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not just his reign over the cosmos, but his reign over your heart when you repent of your sins and you trust in him. So God's words in Isaiah 40 were not so much about getting you to observe the creation, 
but to hope in the new creation. This was not a call simply to to stand in awe of your sovereign, but to stand in anticipation of your Savior. So what's the application? When the matters of this world have you shaken. Stop trying to determine what God can or can't do, who he can or can't be by your limited cognitive abilities. Open the Bible. Open God's word. Look at him with the eyes of faith and let the word of God expand your mind to new categories of thinking. Because if you want to find lasting joy, deep comfort, and unshakable confidence, behold a great God. Because when you see God as who he really is, all human imaginings, fears, and troubles just give way to this great God working on our behalf through our coming Savior. Let's pray. Father, you are great. And so we ask your spirit in 2023 to work mightily in us as we set our eyes on you, set the eyes of faith on you, And seek your face, seek your glory, seek your greatness through your word. Strengthen our hearts and let nothing shake us. And may we never, ever doubt that you are ruling over your creation. And you are ruling to bring about our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.